and welcome back again to the Dice Are Screaming. This is Randy and Mike. Yep, and we're here for another rousing round of the Dice Are Screaming. Hey, thanks for joining us. This week, or today, it's Gary Gygax's birthday. He would have been 80 years young this day. And I wrote about that on Twitter. And we're going to talk a little bit about Gygax today, his influence on us all, and of course, his legacy, which is the Dungeons and Dragons game. And specifically, what we're going to try to cover here is his Appendix N, that off-quoted appendix in the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide, the first edition for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. He listed a lot of inspirational and educational reading. And uh, we're just going to pick through some of this. We're going to cover it in topics. So uh, I'd just like to start out by saying that one of the things that doesn't get a lot of mention is he specifically states in here that uh, then too, countless hundreds of comic books went down, and the long gone EC comics certainly had their effect. And for me, I think more than the spirit, I think it's the uh, uh, the horror uh, series. What was that called? Tales from the Crypt. Yes, that was it. Uh, Tales from the Crypt, which still lives on. Uh, you know, it has been readapted many times into. Uh, well, they made that into a movie, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, I never actually had access to any of those original EC comics. Uh, that was yeah. not a part of, you know, my youth. Uh, Thanks to the Warren Commission. Well, yeah, but uh, on a generation somewhat older than ours, it certainly had an impact. And it had enough of an impact that that material came back in film form by the time we were teens. Yeah, and its influence uh, went through the entire of literary and comic genres. Stephen King quotes them quite a bit as his inspiration, and uh, countless other authors, of course, were inspired by them. They all had a spooky, supernatural element that the bad got what was coming to him in the end, that there was a supernatural quality about many things at the edge of our imaginations that would creep in. And that is, of course, a rich uh, culture to be seeped in. Those uh, were imaginative comics even if they were based in modernity of the times, they uh, certainly inspired people to think outside of the norms. Oh, much like uh, a lot of the early Pulp Fiction, which some of which uh, is directly mentioned here. I mean, the, the Pulp Fiction influences that uh, Gygax cites uh, include, uh, you know, pretty obviously, the right at the top of the list there, there's Conan. Uh, you know, Robert Howard... Uh, his Conan series, it may not have been his only series, but it has been the, the most widely known uh, and most widely read. Mm -hmm. uh, and much like those comic influences, uh, Conan had a pulp sensibility. It, it, it was meant to be entertainment, uh, but at the same time, there was a quality to the writing that was far above the caliber that you would have expected from, you know, if you anticipated cheap pulp with, you know, incredibly simple language, no, you will be sorely disappointed, for lo, uh, Conan is literally uh, heaped in superb verbiage. It's just, it, it is just an endless source of, oh, gosh, I better hit the thesaurus and, uh, I've scoped this one out. I'm not. I'm not sure what he encountered, but it sounded scary. Uh, 
<laughs> much like Lovecraft. Uh, you know, the, the language was so uh, superb that it really carried you aloft with it. I mean, you you became a better reader by virtue of reading these. Yeah. Uh, sink or swim. Yeah, your lexicon was definitely enhanced and tested. Um, Lovecraft especially with his squalmous, writhing <laughs> mass. Yeah. I, it's a, even before I knew what it meant, I was already terrified. Yeah. So... <laughs> Heaved its squamous bulk. Uh, yeah, this is terrible. But, you know, there's others on here that, uh, you know, are just mentioned. Let's see here. Um, oh, okay. Well, we can't miss Moorcock. Literally, Moorcock comes screaming how much influence that had. Intelligent swords. Yeah, Stormbringer. Uh, a sword with an highly uh, evolved sense of its own self-interest that does not take yours into consideration. And in fact, it even has a sweet tooth for people you like. Uh, Michael Moorcock's uh, Stormbringer series with uh, Elric of Melnibony, uh that gave us an entire window into sentient weapons and objects uh, that I think added a terrific dynamic to the old school game uh, that obviously lingers on in other versions of the game today, mm -hmm. uh, but... <laughs> Intelligent weapons with a will of their own. A classic uh, old-school experience is to have your weapon, you know, you, you find it in the dungeon, you pick it up, and then the next thing, it's riding you around like a puppet master, and you are <laughs> punching out your teammates and uh, taking over uh, towns and committing crimes uh, because the sword is in charge now. Uh, just goes to show that there is some slight use for warriors having uh, their wits about them. A little intelligence and wisdom investment yeah. never hurt anybody. <laughs> you know, and, and he makes another thing, uh, Rogers Lasney, the Amber series, and Jack of Shadows. Oh, I only read a few of the, the Amber series. Um, tell me, uh, what are some good correlations between the Amber series and the early games? Well, uh, Nobility seeped in magic and ancient power tied to a land, as well as the world building, like Howard and Tolkien, Zelazny built, and uh, Moorcock. They all built worlds. True. You know, and that is a good world building example because I do you know that worked on its own principles, multi uh, planes, um, interdimensional invasions and foes. All right. And courts of the Fae, you know, myth, and also brushing on the real world. That uh, oh goodness, the principal character, um, you know, woke up in a hospital bed, uh, supposedly suffering from amnesia from a car wreck, and learned that he was indeed the Prince of Amber, who was exiled after a failed coup. And ah. then you know his sister, who was looking after him, came. There's a lot of stuff like that, and of course, it's a great one for just imaginative as well as token. You know, we, a lot can be said for the token's influence is very heavily seen on. Dungeons and Dragons, especially with its Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, you know, it's diverse cast of characters, you know, elves and dwarves and, okay. of course, the hobbits. You know, that's that's a big one that um, is easily taken yeah. as the main inspiration for D&D. &D. But you would be amiss if you didn't include 
Fritz Lieber into there. Bafford and the Grey Mouser. Oh, also a classic. The the Lankmar series. Uh, you know the the interplay between the warrior and the rogue. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and the warrior actually, in many cases, being considerably more philosophically minded and intelligent than people give him credit for. Uh, yeah. You know that uh, Bafford was no fool. No. Uh, you know he. he may have been uh, occasionally led astray by, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, shiny things. But, uh, you know, uh, he was no slouch. No, he was no fool near a uh, battle-lusty barbarian either that many thought him to be. And, of course, in the city, the grim city that they were placed in, filled with guilds and priestly organizations and bureaucracies, that they run right through by their scams, fast-talking, and uh, thievery, skullduggery, abounded in the tales from Lankmar. So those are obvious ones that D&D really has a deep debt to. And, you know, of course, you can also uh, use Burroughs, Edgar Rice Burroughs, in there. Oh, and uh, Poole Anderson, which, Three Hearts and Three Lions, the paladin is literally... And I, I do not say that figuratively. I, I mean that in the absolute most literal sense. The paladin is lifted right from the pages of Three Hearts and Three Lions, which I consider a really fun short book. I mean, this is not an overwhelmingly challenging read. Uh, it's just highly entertaining. And, you know, the... the uh, well, we've already hit the note on uh, the person waking up and finding themselves in a very unusual place, and... Three Hearts and Three Lions is exactly the same thing, except that this time it's a questing knight. You know, that you wake up as a questing knight, and you're not quite sure of all the details, but, uh, you know, you find that you have uh, powers and gifts that uh, seem to be uh, a part of purity of heart and, you know, uh, purity of intention. And, you know, the classical quest. Yeah! Uh, that is just terrific, but... Burroughs, on the other hand, I mean, where to start? I mean, you know, Tarzan, uh, <laughs> uh, John Carter of Mars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe, now this is something that I have not personally read, but wasn't there something uh, with, uh, like, under the ice of Antarctica? Lost yeah, World? the Pulicidar. Oh, Pelucidar. I'm saying it right. Pelucidar? Pelucidar, yeah. Okay, Pelucidar. See, like, you you taught me how to say Meldivity, right? I used to say it as Meldivity. Oh. Yeah, you know. I'm not even sure myself. Uh, yeah. One of those things where, you know, I, oh, that's a word. I drift towards flair and excess. I mean, I, I, I assume that when it's fiction authors, whatever is slightly more exotic sounding mm-hmm. is probably closer to accurate. And I'm often... Why wrong. say red when you can say crimson? Yes. Uh, or, you know... What good is blue when you have cerulean? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> These azure, the azure depths, uh, those are much more interesting than, yeah, it's a big blue ocean out there. It's, <laughs> it's very big and blue and wet. <laughs> Especially wet. Emphasis on the wet. Yeah. Lot. But not moist. Yeah, no. Uh, we don't like that. No, not Nobody moist. Likes moist. Um, but the idea that literature formed the basis of the D&D game, besides just the love of medieval weaponry and armor, 
which of course Gygax is well known for his love for, you know, the armor class system where he was able to base armor into classes so that it would be able to determine who could be hit and what type of protection could be afforded. You know, these were things that he put in there, as well as his love of pole arms. But, uh, pole arms being one thing that, uh, in, from the Earth Arcana, if you read the back of that, you were well versed as any medieval scholar on the evolution of the pole arm, like the Ransuer and Glaive <laughs> Gisiarme, and of course the Beck de Corbin. Yeah, it just these are things that do not exist in contemporary dialogue outside the realm of D&D. Uh, so, you know, a, a nod has to be given uh, to the guy who literally brought these terms back to life. Uh, he, he rescued them from uh, death, uh, where they only existed in the world of medieval scholars, uh, and probably only even in the language of paid medieval scholars, which is an even smaller population. Uh, <laughs> and transformed it into a thing that, like, literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of people now have some idea of what these weapons were and what they were for and what the core differences between them were. Uh, that's an uncanny thing to have happen. Uh, I would be remiss if we didn't bring up Jack Vance. Oh, well, yeah, the Vancean magic system is probably the biggest thumbprint outside a token that can easily be seen. Now, thematically, you can say that Robert E. Howard and Prince Lever had a big thumbprint, but Vance, his spell memorization, like a wizard can only memorize a spell in certain times at certain ways, and once cast, it was removed from the memory, and thus freeing it up. Of course, Iun Stone's also from that, but Jack Vance's Dying Earth series is very formative in how the magic system was translated for D&D. Because originally they were going to go with a sort of spell type of systems or spells per day or things like that. But they decided to extrapolate, and that's what the system became. Uh, very much based on Jack Vance. Um, oh, Ursula K. Le Guin, um, mm. who, you know, rest in peace as well. Uh, you know, we lost her yep. uh, very recently. The Earthsea Trilogy. Uh, Another world builder. Yeah, a superb... Uh, work of world building. Uh, she was just a, a giant. Uh, you know, even if not specifically mentioned, uh, it was extremely influential work to gamers, fantasy fiction, sci-fi, uh, you know, everything of that ilk. Uh, the Earthsea trilogy is well worth looking into uh, for mages and druids. Uh, and another one that's not actually on the list here, Catherine Cares yeah. Camber. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, uh, later formed much of the basis for psionics. Mm -hmm. uh, it was referenced more directly in later volumes, far after uh, the DM Guide. People made reference to it. Yeah. But it was definitely in there, even if it's not directly referenced. Uh, and of course, we can't forget Andre Norton, the other Grand Dame of science fiction and fantasy. She wrote uh, Quag Keep after sitting in on a session from the Lake Geneva group and uh, wrote a novel about Castle Greyhawk and uh, as well as her own body of work which stands mightily on its own. Yeah, uh, just an enormously prolific author. Uh, she piled on the material. Uh, I have an entire stack of books. Yeah. Uh, but we would also be remiss if we did not mention Tolkien, uh, you know, in greater depth. Uh, you know, the the Ranger class 
is, you know, honestly, pure Tolkien right there. Yep, their ability to use crystal balls. Um, oh, yeah. One of the non-fighter types that is able to use crystal balls is a ranger. Why is that? Well, the plant here. Yeah, um, and non-clerical magic. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the little whiffs of uh, magic and uh, druidism uh, uh, for a high-level ranger are, you know, Aragorn incarnate. Exactly. Uh, Just as much as responsible as uh, Conan was for, and Fafford for making the fighter class what it was. And also, of course, uh, John Carter, Warlord of Mars. I mean, oh. but this brings us to the fact that all these authors brung an atmosphere from the books, and that you could call a lot of different, from a lot of different sources, a atmosphere. From the verbiage, from the literary remarks that they used, they allowed you to make an atmosphere that seemed believable and even mysterious and exciting. You know, where would we be without Robert E. Howard's visceral, two fisted descriptions of combat? Yeah, that guy actually, you know, himself uh, boxed uh, and had a really strong sense of the, you know, uh, way to describe uh, two people competing against one another or the flow of events in a melee involving mm -hmm. more than a few people. Uh, that ability to play-by-play -play description and keep it punchy and interesting and sharp, uh, you know, that, that is something that every DM can learn from. Um, but, you know, as we drift to the end of our show, uh, you know, it would be a good moment to mention that atmosphere is a, you know, a thing well worth discussing along with world building, uh, which is, you know, atmosphere is derived from good world building, which uh, Mr. Gygax, rest in peace, uh, gave superb advice on where to go looking for those world building skills. Uh, that so many of the early authors of uh, game books learned from these terrific authors. So by all means, go out, give some of them a read yourself. I am sure that you will find some that you enjoy. Yep. And also, you know, there's new authors too that add to that list. Mm. China Melville, George R. R. Martin. Absolutely. Um, of course, Raymond Feist. Oh, yes. And, uh, oh goodness, I'm going to triple over this, um, the Belgaria series. Oh, uh, David Eddings. Eddings. Yeah, there we go. David Eddings, of course, could, if, you know, this was updated, I think Eddings would find a big place on this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it would, and it would be a worthy place indeed. That was, uh, that at the first arrival of the Belgaria, that was a series that I devoured. Oh, it was, it was wonderful. And, uh, you know, of course, his next one, um, Sparrowhawk, oh goodness. Um, Sparhawk. Yeah, I'm getting confused with Ursi. But, yeah, we're drifting to the end, so we're going to just wrap it up here. We're almost at 20 minutes, so once again, this has been a great joy to share our love of the Appendix N. And, of course, we'll be covering more topics as we keep going on here, plugging away. This is our third full episode, so thanks for hanging with us. And remember, again, look us up on WordPress at the Dice Are Screaming. And, of course, uh, you can get a hold of us on Twitter directly and me at Death Hand Gaming. That's D-E-T-H-A-N-D, not real death. And uh, Mike is... Oh, at Vox Magi or Magi Vox. Yeah, on Twitter as well. And, of course, uh, we'll be starting a Facebook group here shortly. So make sure you can join up with that if you're interested. 
And, uh, of course, leave any comments or voicemail if you want. Yeah, if you have a favorite book that you think we should give a read, uh, you know, that was not listed or discussed today, by all means, throw that reference to us because uh, we're both avid readers as well. So, well, that'll do it for us. Again, thanks for hanging out, and uh, happy Gygax Day, and uh, hopefully you can get some gaming in between now and then our next episode, so may the dice ever roll in your favor. This is the Dice of Screaming. We're out.